Take out your Bibles and let's open to Psalm 138 together. Next Sunday we'll be back into um, our study in Luke. But last week and this week I wanted to give us some psalms. And today I want to continue our theme of Thanksgiving. We're sort of having Thanksgiving Christmas. We've got a mix here. We've got Thanksgiving on the screen and Christmas in the decoration. So that's, that's good. That's right where we are in the world right now. But I want to talk to you about a thankful heart today. Paganism has prayers, but it doesn't have praise. Paganism has plenty of teaching, but it has no thanksgiving. And sometimes as unthinking Christians, we also express no thanksgiving. But praising, like praying, should be a habit of ours. It should be done continually and not casually. In Psalm 137, the chapter just before where we are today, Israel was captive. They were unable to sing praise to God because of their current situation. They were in the presence of heathen captors. But you read on into Psalm 138, and you find a time where Israel was free to sing praises to their God. And even then, we will read where the writer, I think David, anticipates the praises of God being sung even by the heathen themselves, and more so even by the heathen kings who they previously could not sing with them. So through these contrasting psalms here, I want you to learn this morning that though there is a time for silence, there's also a time for bold confession. And see that we must be bold to praise God when others will not praise Him. So let's read together in Psalm 138. David writes, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answered me and strengthened me with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, Yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time of worship and song. Now, as we enter into this time of worship, through the reading and the preaching of your word, we ask for your special blessing. Holy Spirit, illuminate the word before us this morning that we might receive it and use it in our lives. God, we want to be people who aren't grumblers and complainers, but people who are worshipful. Every day of the week, every moment of every day, we have reason to give you praise. So help us to leave here today with a a renewed desire to be offering up thanksgiving to you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. David, who had a thankful heart, begins here in verse number 1, saying, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praise 
unto you. And with that as our jumping in point for this psalm, I want us to consider this morning, how does David have this thankful heart? And he gives us his reasons for it here in the rest of Psalm 138. We begin with verse number 2, with the fact that David writes, God has magnified his word. So in verse 1, he says, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. You know the saying, a man is only as good as his word. And that's a great character trait for us all to live by. In fact, what do you have besides your name and your word that is attached to your name? Certainly, we would see that place true with God. God is as good as his word. But I want to switch that this morning and possibly give us a better grasp on what David is saying here. God's word is as good as he is. We think often, well, a man is only as good as his word. But do you elevate God's word to the place that he does? David writes here with a proper perspective on that as he says, God, you have elevated, you've magnified your word above all your name. The scholar Williams writes of it this way. He says, God's present revelation, his word, surpasses that which we have known of him in the past and therefore that which we have associated with his name. David is saying here, I, think, I have a thankful heart because you have outdone yourself with your word. And we must agree this morning that David at best had a minimal amount of God's word. But you and I, we believe we have the completed canon of God's word. We have all of it. We have his word that is forever settled in heaven. And we, we hold it in our hands. It's printed. It's bound. It's put into digital formats. And we're able to open it up on all sorts of devices in all different languages with all of these variants. We have access to God's word more so than any group of people ever before on the face of the earth. Would you agree then from our point of view that God has outdone himself with his word. Could you say this morning in your own life that God, his word, is as good as he is? If David could have a thankful heart, given the limited amount of God's word that he had, surely you and I can as well. God is steadfast, David writes here, in his love and in his faithfulness, and he has given us his word. He begins verse 2 by saying, I will worship toward thy holy temple and we recognize the the attribution to the Jewish religion of the day and we have our own religious ways even of in our day we 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 set it up like this and you guys stand out there and we have people up here and you worship in this direction but all of this should be praise pointed toward God and we hope that it is we mean for it to be but in all of this we worship by praising his name For his loving kindness, David attaches to that phrase, and for thy truth. Why? Because you magnified your name above your word. So let us turn our hearts toward him and let us worship him fervently. In verse 3, we see David transition then from his truth and his word to answered prayers. He says, in the day when I cried, thou answered me. And strengthened me with strength in my soul. There's nothing that will expand our understanding of God and give us spiritual vitality like answered prayer. 
There's no lack of faith when God is answering your prayers. You can fully trust Him when He presents Himself and He responds in your communion with Him. And I would encourage you in your day-to-day practice to, to be building on that. You need to be building dynamic faith through prayer. Often we don't pray at all. Or we don't pray enough. Or we don't pray in, in ways that expect anything at all out of God. It's as if we could go through this pattern of the things that we think we are supposed to say, and as long as we said them, we've pleased God, so He may just not crush us today. This is not the relationship He wants with you. I've been floating this quote around from C.S. Lewis for a few weeks now, but it's an appropriate time to use it again. So if you've heard me say it 38 times, just pretend like this is the first time. In mere Christianity, though, C.S. Lewis said, just as a man invented the engine to run off of fuel, God has created humans to run off of Himself. This was the case with Adam and Eve, was it not? Certainly part of the curse was they had to be removed from His presence. Even after they'd sinned, they tried to hide from His presence. You and I must allow our renewed place through Jesus Christ before God, this righteousness attributed to our account, to bring us back into His presence. Now we're told, come boldly before His throne with our praying. So surely we are to bring up petitions to Him. We're to ask Him what to do. We're to ask Him to work in our lives in areas. It's not just a a religious ritual that we go through in our day. We're to be talking with Him, communing with Him. As we do so, it will build dynamic faith. David said that here. When I cried, you answered me, and you strengthened me with strength in my soul. If you're not in a regular practice of this, I would encourage you I want to tell you to start big, (laughs) but I'm going to encourage you to start small. See, a lot of times we overlook the small things, so we won't even go to God with the big things. So we don't have thankful hearts because we almost act like God's not doing anything. Do you truly think God's doing nothing in the world in which we live today? That God is doing nothing in your life? Oh, surely he's doing something in your life. There was a time in my adult life when I began to discover some great doctrines of the Bible. One of the side effects of coming in tune with some of these doctrines was I began to question then, well, why pray? And there are certain doctrines of the Bible when we take them out of their place or we allow them to overload our brains, we begin to think, well, gosh, if that's how it is with God, well, there's no reason for me to pray at all. But there is reason for you to pray because God wants to talk to you. And the end result for me in that time was not to stop praying, but it was to change my pattern of praying. It wasn't praying for God to do things that He had already done or to do things that He had already established before the world was even created. It was to pray just to talk with Him. It was to pray to talk to Him about other things given the solidity of the things that we had already talked about or that He had revealed to me in His Word. So we start small. I, I, I would encourage you just to, and a, a dear preacher friend of mine, a mountain preacher from East Tennessee, does that make him more holy? I think that does something for him, right? I was talking to him about this struggle I was having, and he said, do you have a prayer list? I said, well, we got one at church. He said, no, not that. He said, I want you to just start writing down next to your Bible when you pray in the mornings, four or five things that you're praying about, and then as God answers them, you scratch them off the list. Well, it didn't take me a week or two of doing this, to be able to confirm in my own life, on my own sheet of paper there, that God answers prayers. He's actively working in my life. And and David said, 
He strengthens me with these answered prayers, which strengthen my soul. From there, man, you're able to pray large things. You're able to exercise dynamic faith. And it's not you. It's not your own spiritual muscles. It's that faith that He gives you. And what a wonderful thing it is. We can fully trust Him when He answers our prayers. I do think we should ask the question then of the text. Why at times do we not experience more answers to our prayers? Well, I think initially that's because we just don't pray. James said that in James 4.2. He says, you lust and you have not. You kill and you desire to have and you cannot obtain. You fight, you war, you have not because you ask not. Jerry Falwell Sr. would always talk about a BHAG, B-H-A-G, a big, hairy, audacious goal. If anybody in the world should have big, hairy, audacious goals, it shouldn't be people balancing the government of the United States of America's budget. It should be Christians. It should be us, God's people, the most blessed people on the face of the earth. We should be the ones with these prayers. We should be the ones saying, God, this is what we believe you want to do, and we need you to enable us to be able to do this. If we will pray, God will answer our prayers. Jim Simbola, the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, he said something like this about prayer. He says, your church doesn't need a new vision or a new program. You need to pray. And be sure what we're talking about when we say pray here this morning. It's not reciting some words before God. It is talking with Him. Having a conversation with the Almighty. When we see God respond like David, we will have thankful hearts. Have you ever prayed about something, but you didn't get it? Is that all right with you? I recently prayed about something, but in the course of that praying, I submitted myself to, nevertheless, thy will be done. Isn't that how we're to pray? So it, was, it brought my heart to thankfulness when God said no, though I dearly wanted the thing that I prayed for, because it was a sign to me that I'm a son and that he knows best and whatever he is going to do or not going to do in my life in regards to that matter is going to be exceeding abundantly above all I would ever ask or think. So praying and trusting God to answer our prayers, even if it's a no, brings us to a heart of thankfulness. Many times I believe God has to keep us from ourselves. So no is still an answer. And we don't have to be thankful only when he says yes. This moves us to verse 4, 5, and 6. In verse 4 he says, All the kings of the earth shall praise thee. That's a conundrum for some because certainly all the kings of the earth did not praise God during David's life. I don't think we've lived to see all the kings of the earth praise him. But Paul tells us, as he writes to the church in Philippi, that there's a day coming that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So however you want to interpret the first part of verse 4 there, we know for sure this will be eventually fulfilled. But David writes, All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yes, they shall sing the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. So God's faithfulness in answering David's prayer is a powerful testimony, even to the kings of the earth. 
you imagine what this must have been like in Daniel's day? As the king brought in the, the best of the Jews, you know, to him the, kings, the, the Jews were not as good as they were, but at least we're going to get the best of them and then we'll train them in our ways and we're going to improve their society. Did that work? That nation no longer exists. So Americans, let's remember that doesn't work. To take some people that we think are lesser than us and try to put them up on an equal plane with us because we're rich or we're white or we're civilized or whatever other word you want to give to that. These, these social justice movements don't work. I'm saying that one again because I need you to amen that one. These social justice movements don't work. Some of you are hypocrites. I'm just going to say, because you'd be amening that on the front porch to, to, the, to the top of your lungs, because I'm saying it in here. You're like, I don't know. That doesn't work. I was listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones preach in England in the 1950s. He was addressing the same thing. He said, we, we have this, he said, we have this roach in the church. It's this social justice gospel. We think if we approve, we'll improve their lives, they'll turn to Jesus. He said, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't. In Daniel's day, the king said, we're going to feed you the best meats. We're going to give you the best things to drink. We're going to give you the best education. You're going to be on the best diet and exercise program there can be. And Daniel said, would you let me and my friends just eat what our Bible prescribes for us to eat? Now, I'm not implementing that in my life. I'm not, I'm not preaching for that here this morning. Um, they were basically eating porridge, mush, and thank God for meat, even hot dogs. But at the end of that time, Though they had not been eating their portion of the king's meat, they were all the better than the ones who had been. And God showed himself worthy of praise even before that king of the earth in Daniel's day. God's faithfulness in answering prayer is a powerful testimony to the kings of the earth. Christians, what is it we're praying right now that would be a powerful testimony to the governor of our state, to the president of our country, to the branches of our government. What is it you're praying about right now? I didn't say what sign have you put up in your front yard or what post have you made on your social media. I said what are you praying about this morning that would be a testimony to the kings of this earth? Or do we not pray about those things? I fear that that's the problem. We don't have thankful hearts for God exercising His muscles in the day and age in which we live because we don't actually expect God to do anything. In fact, we only get aroused when we feel like a man can do something behind a desk. Well, I'd submit to you this morning that our God can do one million times more than any one person could ever do. In fact, that person is only established by our God. The king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it however he wants it to be. Well, I don't like this person. I don't like their policies. Pray. Call on God to change their heart and watch Him do it. God's faithfulness is a powerful testimony. David, here in his life, says, All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. They will acknowledge how great the glory of the Lord is. There is praise here for the realization that God is the exalted one. Yea, they shall sing the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, 
yet he hath respect unto the lowly. He takes a special interest, David said, in the lowly. I think it points in David's life he could say the lowly like me and other points in David's life he would have to say I am the high and lifted up. But nevertheless we understand the connotation there. And David goes so far, far to say here not only does the high God keep respect, show respect to the lowly but the proud he knows afar off. They are not in his presence. They are not with him because God hates pride. But David is saying here he still keeps tabs on them. What a wonderful thought. So we can have a thankful heart this morning because God has magnified his word and revealed it and given it to us because God answers our prayers. And then finally we can have a thankful heart because God works in our lives. Verse 7, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of thine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. David, though surrounded by enemies and hazards and distresses, is enabled by the Lord to walk safely as if they didn't even exist. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. The same hand that strikes out at David's adversaries will deliver him from disaster. With justified confidence, then David affirms here in verse 8, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. The Lord may not perfect that which concerns everything and everybody else in the world, but as his, I am his, he is mine, he will perfect that which concerns me. And, and Christians, don't play into this guilt trip that goes along with the blessings. God is going to confirm you in life. Now, those blessings can be a lot of different things, but if God begins to prosper you, glorify God. If God heals you, glorify God. If God gives you wisdom from His Word, glorify God. And in the same token, if God sends you through a great trial, glorify God. Because even in that time, His hand will sustain you. But I fear in the church, we're okay with things going in the negative because we can be humble and say, woe is me, but God is good. But all of a sudden, we're afraid of the positive because then we've embraced the prosperity gospel. Or then we have this rich white guilt. Or then we have a multitude of other things. How about we're God's people and He loves us and He wants to do exceeding abundant things in our lives in spite of us. Should we not glorify God even in those things? Well, it's, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. It's not about you. You're just a steward. You don't own anything. And whatever He's entrusted you to steward of, Glorify Him through this thing. God works in our lives. David, when he affirms that the Lord will perfect that which concerns him, it it presents a pattern for us as a church that we worship with thankfulness in just the same way. He says here, Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. Well, what does that look like in our lives? Let's hold your place in Psalm 138. Go to Ephesians 2. This is baseline and introductory for us in the Christian life, but if you sit here this morning and think, well, this is all fine and dandy for other people, but not for me, 
Well, I think we can all find ourselves here. Ephesians 2. We can glorify God that he has made us alive. As one who was dead in sin, we've now been revived in Christ. Ephesians 2.1. And you hath he quickened, you hath he made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins. How many of you can still remember when you were spiritually dead? You had not been made alive. You had no knowledge of what, what's going on here this morning. You had no knowledge of the word. My dad used to say to me, did you read your Bible today? And I finally got to a place in my teenage years that I was bold enough to say, no. And he'd say, why not? And I'd say, because I don't even understand what it means. What was I admitting there? There's no Holy Spirit inside of me. Now, certainly it's at different comprehension levels. I'm not playing that game here. I'm just saying with the Holy Spirit to us, the word will speak to us. You hath he made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God. Don't you love that transition there? Well, what do I have to be thankful for? Well, God works in your life. Just as David says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me, this is the new covenant version of God perfecting that which concerns you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were a child of the world. You were a child of the devil. You were by your nature a child of wrath, but God, who is rich in mercy. Could you affirm that this morning? Is your God rich in mercy? Surely he is. For his great love. Has God shown you great love? Do you believe that your God has great love? Yes, God is love. We love him because he first loved us. For his great love wherewith he loved who? What's the word there? Us. There's a principle in scripture I think best illustrated with Noah. And I believe it's Peter who brings it to light in the New Covenant. But over in the Old, we see God tells Noah to build an ark. And only Noah and his family get on the ark. And God shuts the door. And what happens to everybody else? They die. And I think Peter says, Noah, through building the ark, condemned the world. Now, Christians, it should inspire our gospel energy when we think of such things, to want to go help other people be one of us, to be a Christian, to be a part of this family, to, to know their sins are forgiven and their eternal fate is secure. But I think often we sit around in this regard too and we just don't praise God enough. We don't smile enough. We're not happy enough about what we're reading here this morning with His great love wherewith He loved us, not them. And I don't glory in the fact that it leaves out them, whoever they are. But I also don't sit around and not glory in the fact that God has loved me. Even when we were dead in our sins, what did we do? How did we get this? We didn't do anything. We were dead. Even then, though, God has quickened us together. He's made us alive with Christ. And in that parenthesis there, Paul explains what he's saying there. By grace you are saved. You can go back to Psalm 138. So for David, it was as simple as saying, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. 
For you and I, that translates over into a multitude of things. But for sure, it translates over into this thing that God loves us. That God is rich in mercy. That God has made us alive, though we were spiritually dead and could not make ourselves alive. He protects us, David goes on to say. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. Verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou wilt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies. Thy right hand shall save me. He protects us from our enemies. He perfects us. He completes his work in us. Paul says it like this when he's writing to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Boy, that's a wonderful thing. Don't you hate for things to be halfway done? Don't you hate it when you yourself begin a thing and you leave it off for a while or you leave it off forever? It kind of nags at you, doesn't it? But Paul writes with confidence to the church in Philippi and says, God's begun this work and he's going to perform it. He's going to do it. He's going to complete it. So our assurance here this morning and our reason for thanksgiving rests in God's eternal love. He writes to end here that your love endures forever. Or your mercy. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Those who know God do not have any confidence in themselves. We don't praise God because confidence in ourselves. We praise God that though we are spiritually dead, He made us alive. We did nothing. We praise God that when we cried out, He answered. We still did nothing. We prayed. That's it. We couldn't even do that on our own accord. But He's allowed us through the righteous Christ to be able to do that. We know that we are weak. We know that we are guilty. We know that we are simply sinners who've been saved by God's grace. And apart from the persevering grace of God, we would all be certain to fall away into sin and perish. So our confidence is not in ourselves. It is in Him who loved us and who gave Himself for us. So we say, as David said here, the Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. We say, Lord, Your mercy endures forever. Why do we offer Him thanksgiving? Well, if for no other reason, it's because His mercy endures forever. I don't remember which psalm it is, but there's one of the psalms that ends every single verse with, Your mercy endures forever. Does anybody know that one? Which one is it? Nobody knows. If you 136. All right, thanks, dear. The theologian in the house. Yeah, Psalm 136. David says, After every verse, For your mercy endureth forever. So we pray, do not abandon the works of your hands in our lives. Herbert Lockyer wrote rightly, he said, Our hope of final perseverance is the final perseverance of the God we love and serve. Because His mercy endureth forever. His work in and for us will continue until we are perfected when we see Him and all of His perfection. Boy, do you, do you long for your glorification? You've been justified. You're being sanctified. Finally, when you enter the presence of God, you will experience what He sees you as glorified. What a wonderful day that'll be. This is the doctrine of perseverance. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. And David's prayer up against that is, Lord, don't forsake the works of your hands. Though he knows that God's mercy endures forever, he still lives in his carnal flesh. He still lives with his sin-stricken state. 
He still struggles day after day with the things that he has to deal with because he's still a sinner. But he trusts him that God's mercy endures forever. And he prays to God, don't stop doing what you're doing. Keep after that. I need that. I want that. Martin Luther strongly held to the doctrine of perseverance. But we still have recorded his prayer. Confirm, O God, in us that thou hast wrought and perfect the work that thou hast begun in us. Aren't you thankful for God's work in your life? I ask you this morning, do you have a thankful heart? We have a multitude of reasons to be thankful. Dr. J. Vernon McGee spoke on this, and he asked the question, do we worship him with our whole heart? And he writes that one of the things which impressed him about a particular colleague was what he said when he went to God to repent of the coldness and the indifference and the sin in his life. His colleague said, then I went back to God and I repented of my repentance. (laughs) That's a unique thought, isn't it? I went to God and I repented of my coldness and I repented of my indifference and I repented of the sin in my life, but then I went to God and I repented of my repentance. Meaning, his first confession was just lip service. And with God's work inside of him, he realized, I needed to even repent of that. McGee goes on to say, some of us ought to go to God in prayer on Monday morning and ask him to forgive us for going to church on Sunday. We should pray, Lord, forgive me for going to church yesterday. I sang the hymns, but my heart wasn't in it. I prayed, but it was a mere formality. I listened to the word of God, but it had no effect on me. I criticized the preacher and others who were there, but I did not criticize myself. God, forgive me for going to gather with a church like that. It's a great thing for us to consider this morning. As we look at David in Psalm 138, or all throughout the Psalms, and this thankful heart that he has toward God, we need to ask amongst ourselves, do I worship God with my whole heart? Christian, you can have a thankful heart just out of Psalm 138 because God magnifies his word, because God answers our prayers, And because God is active in our lives, specifically in that he revives us from our deadness. Another preacher outlines Psalm 138 this way. He says, praise the Lord for his revelation. Praise the Lord for his response. Praise the Lord for his reviving. Praise the Lord for his redemption. What are we saying? Have a thankful heart because God is God. Have a thankful heart because God keeps his covenant always keeps his promises have a thankful heart because god's word is magnified even as he answers our prayers but i fear many of you are here today and you live lives that are shattered by sin you've made such a mess that you even look around on a day like this and you say well what's the use well the use is the lord loves you so i would encourage you this morning to Give him the broken pieces of your heart, of your life, the mess that you've made, and let him give you in replacement a thankful heart. It's like the potter that the prophet Jeremiah talked to us about. Let him put you back on the wheel and mold you and make you into what he wants you to be. Oh, you get get hard and you get crusty over here at times, or sometimes you feel like, oh, let's just 
Let's just throw that away and start over again. But trust the potter's hands. Let him soften you and mold you and make you. And it's your test for this in your life. Am I praying to God and Him answering my prayers? Am I allowing God through His Holy Spirit and His Word to mold and make me and guide me? Is that very thing? Do I have a thankful heart? Do I have to work at gratitude? Or does gratitude just come up out of me? And I think a lot of times we misunderstand gratitude. We'll think with such a question to ourselves, well, yeah, I'm grateful when something good happens. The boy just hadn't been like that lately. It's not the way it goes with God. Like an engine that was created to run off fuel, God has made me to run off of him. When things go great or when things go horrible, alone with him, all is well. When peace like a river descendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, God has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's stand and pray.